Merry Christmas, everyone. Welcome to Church of the Good Shepherd. If you're visiting to, with us tonight, we are so thrilled that you chose to be here with us on this eve of Christmas. I want to begin this sermon actually by talking about the most awkward situation in all of the human experience, and that's the dreaded, notorious, nerve-wracking elevator ride. A bunch of random strangers standing around quietly with bated breath, staring at the wall, hoping that no one else talks to them, wishing the stupid elevator would just hurry up and get to their floor. I've always wanted to try uh, some of those funny things to do on an elevator list that uh, to break up the tense atmosphere. If you just go Google this, you'll see what I'm talking about. Here's a sampler for you tonight. Uh, Wear a puppet on your hand and talk to other passengers through it. Make race car noises when anyone gets on or off the elevator. Or you could greet everyone on the elevator with a warm handshake and ask them to call you Admiral. Or you could make explosion noises whenever someone presses a button. Or, my personal favorite, when the doors open, pretend you bounce off an invisible force field when you try to exit. Perhaps the reason these things uh, strike us as so funny is because we know how guarded people are on elevators and the thought of something breaking up the awkward tension of the situation is rather delightful, at least to the 12-year-old boy in me it is. But the reality is it's not just on elevators that people are guarded. In our fear-saturated times, we guard against others everywhere we go fearing the emotional or physical pain they could inflict on us. And the senseless violence that we see on the news on a daily basis only increases our felt need to batten down the hatches and lock the deadbolts. But I want to suggest that there's another way, another way that we tend to be guarded, and that's in how we as creatures relate to our Creator. Admittedly, the idea of an all-knowing being who has access to every intimate detail of our lives is a rather intimidating one. And the fact that such a being may make demands on our lives can certainly feel like an impediment to our freedom. Or perhaps some of us are guarded against God because of painful experiences with people who have done things to us in that God's name. Having personally experienced such pain, I can attest that our image of God can become very unpleasant based on those experiences, causing us to put up a wall of defense to all things religious. Over the past couple of years, I meet more and more people who share this unfortunate story. Such experiences can make us feel like God is a distant disciplinarian rather than someone who is trustworthy, loving, and approachable, someone who is for us. The spiritual writer A.W. Tozer once wrote, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You see, the image we have of God will determine whether or not we open ourselves up to him. Now, what in the world does all of this have to do with Demonstrates that he... Well, Christmas is actually the story of how God demonstrates that he is someone we need not be guarded against. And I want to suggest that in Jesus, we are given an image of God worth opening up to. 
Uh, if you want to follow along, we're going to take a little look at um, the passage we just heard from John's Gospel. It can be found in your bulletin insert uh, if you want to track along. John's Gospel opens up in a rather different way than um, the rest of the Gospels, which we call the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jumps right in, and Luke start off giving us a birth narrative surrounding the birth of Jesus, and uh, Mark jumps right into the historical story of John the Baptist. But John takes what we might call a little bit more of a mystical perspective. It's as if sometimes John is pulling back this veil and showing us the hidden reality behind what is going on in the story of Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection. He begins like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, even if you are only vaguely familiar with the Bible, in the beginning should sound familiar. Because John is actually alluding way back to the creation narrative of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, why would he make this reference? Why would he start this way? Well, he tells us. The Word, that's Jesus, was with God. The Word was God. Here's what he's saying. The Word, Jesus, was with God before the world began. He's eternal. And just to emphasize how eternal, John goes on and says, all things came into being through him. That is, all things came into existence through the agency and power of Jesus, who is the word of God. Then he tells us that in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. Again, he's recalling our attention, he's calling our attention back to that creation narrative. Remember when God says, let there be light? And when he did, the darkness and the light of the cosmos were separated? Well, John is telling us that there is a kind of new creation happening where the light of God bursts forth into the darkness of the world, except this time that light is the person of Jesus who shows up as a vulnerable baby in a manger. There's a story about novelist Robert Louis Stevenson who, uh, as a boy growing up in 19th century Scotland, saw the lamplighters climbing up on the ladders at night, lighting the street lamps. And he says to his parents, look, that man is punching holes in the darkness. You see, that's what God is doing by sending Jesus into the world. He's punching holes in the darkness of our resistance, of our guardedness. And inviting people into a light where they no longer have to stumble around blindly in the dark. Now, you might think that an almighty, all-powerful creator God would deal with us by coming in force to break down any resistance. And maybe that's the image of God you've carried around with you. And so you've continued to resist him. But here's the wild, extravagant, extraordinary thing about the one we try to guard ourselves from. He lets his own guard down and comes among us in vulnerability, putting off glory and taking on frail human flesh. In fact, this is precisely what the story of Christmas is all about. The God who shows up and asks us to put down our guard by first putting down his. 
After describing Jesus' oneness with the Creator God, John says, the Word became flesh and lived among us. The Greek word that we translate lived among us is the word actually for a tabernacle or a temple, the place where God's glory used to abide with his people. And only those who were ritually pure could enter those ho- that holy place. But now the temple of God's presence comes to us as a man who moves towards us and says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in the darkness. You see, the God of the Bible, instead of strong-arming us into submission or forbidding us to come near him, ultimately comes to live among us, sharing in all of the frailty of an embodied existence. He says, I care so much about my creatures, I will submit myself to the fragility of human nature to demonstrate my love. That's how he wins people over to his lordship. Friends, if Christmas is about the incarnation of the Son of God, Christmas is about the humility that God chose to demonstrate his love for creatures who have become guarded against him. And that humility is ultimately demonstrated on the cross to which this child will eventually be led. You see, we can never forget that the small, frail body we see in nativity scenes becomes the bruised, beaten, and crucified body of a young man who dies to forgive our sins. And while we remained closed up, defensive, guarded against God, he stretches out his arms in the ultimate act of vulnerability and says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Personal story. Before I became a Christian, I considered myself a spiritual person, but not particularly religious. It was a time of great searching for me. I questioned everything. I sought rational answers to all of my worldview questions, including those questions concerning the Christian faith of my parents. But rational answers only provide partial satisfaction, you see, because we're not just brains on a stick. We have hearts that long for a relational encounter with the truth. And in the end, it was only that vulnerable, open-armed embrace of a crucified God that could answer the deepest longings of my guarded heart. And so I surrendered my spiritual self to the religion of a humble and loving God. Someone once said that God gives us not a watertight argument so much as a watertight person against whom, in the end, there can be no argument. Earlier we heard from the letter to the Hebrews, which described Jesus this way, as the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. Friends, if that vulnerable baby, born in a dirty manger, who submits himself to death on a cross on our behalf, is the exact imprint of God's very being, we can be assured he is not a distant and cold disciplinarian, but a loving father who will go as far as possible to have a relationship with us. Jesus had a disciple who was guarded. We know him as Doubting Thomas, one of the most unfortunate nicknames to have through all of history. 
But Thomas was a follower of Jesus. He was attentive and obedient to his teachings. He gave things up to follow Jesus. But when it came to the ultimate issue, whether or not Jesus had been raised from the dead and vindicated as Lord of all, Thomas was very skeptical. Thomas couldn't make rational sense of such a thing. And so when the other disciples tell Thomas they'd seen the resurrected Jesus, he says, Ha! Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails in my hand in his side, I will not believe. And a week later, the disciples are hanging out and Jesus shows up and he says, Peace be with you. And immediately... He turns to Thomas and addresses him, knowing his heart, knowing his struggles. And he says, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. See, he doesn't force him into anything. He doesn't say, Thomas, you had better believe or else. He meets Thomas in his guardedness and speaks to him with compassion. And Thomas touches the scars, John tells us, overwhelmed, and I imagine with tears streaming down his face, can only reply with these words, my Lord and my God. And Thomas drops his guard. His fear is transformed into vulnerability, openness to the Lord who died for him. St. Paul writes, I love this, God's kindness leads us to repentance. You see, the birth of Jesus is the only thing that effectively addresses our guardedness, the guardedness that results from fear, from pride, from our addiction to resisting God. And then John says this, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. See, to become a child is to become unguarded, dependent, to throw yourself in the arms of a trustworthy father. Maybe you're here tonight and you're feeling burdened with resistance or guardedness from God. Maybe you've been burdened with it for a really long time. Or maybe you're just wrestling with some big questions about God and about life, what all of it means. Maybe you've been away from God for a while and you know he's calling you back. Or maybe you're just somewhere in between all of this. Wherever you are this Christmas, consider this. The infant we see in nativity scenes is the creator of the cosmos, letting down his guard to let us in. Let me close with some words that John wrote in another one of his letters that's found in the New Testament. And it perfectly summarizes the entire Christmas story. He says this, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Pray with me. Heavenly Father,
on this eve before Christmas, we stand here with all of our guardedness, our struggles, our questions, all of our joys and our pain, wanting to know that we are loved. And when we look at this baby in a manger and that body on a cross, we see a love that we don't even know what to do with because it's so unlike anything we've ever experienced. Help each of us tonight, wherever we are and how we relate to you, to know how to handle that kind of love, what to do with it, how to internalize it, and help us consider how it might change the course of our lives forever. Amen.